Welcome to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, also known as the URM Jam, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we will address the real and perceived barriers faced by historically underrepresented in medicine students and residents who are considering a career in academic family medicine. We'll provide practical tips and personal advice on topics like leadership, scholarly activity, CVs, mentorship, and more. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I'm Dr. Tochi Iroku Malise. And this is URM Jam. Today I am with a special guest, Dr. Weish Jones. Dr. Weish Jones is the director of GME Research and Scholarly Activity at North Georgia Health System. She holds a doctorate of philosophy in higher education with a focus on medical education and a master's in educational leadership from Mercer University. She completed her undergraduate studies in Glasgow, obtaining a Bachelor of Science in Physiotherapy in 1988. Over the years, she's, a, she's chaired various committees, served on many others at both institutional and national levels. Her primary research interests center around physician diversity and the physician workforce, which she has investigated through the lens of medical education and the physician pipeline. This passion for maximizing opportunities and support for a diverse array of physicians was ignited while working in London. Dr. Jones is currently working on a collaborative study investigating the physician pipeline in Georgia with the GBHW, as well as designing a medical education registry for ongoing medical education research studies. Welcome, Dr. Jones. We are so happy to have you and to finally allow our listeners to hear that Scottish voice. Well, thank you, Dr. Hodge. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. Um, I've been listening to your podcast, and um, I'm just so inspired that people have this resource. So thank you for doing that. Sure, sure, sure. How would you, I gave a pretty fancy introduction, but how would you describe yourself to the listeners right now? Well, I'm Scottish, so I'm not fancy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The main thing that I want to get across to everybody is that I am passionate about helping students, residents, and faculty catch the research bug. Um, which is just my, uh, as we say in Ireland, it's my crack. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. does not mean a drug. It, it is the thing that makes me wake up in the morning and go, hey, yay, I get yeah. to do this. Yeah. My success is when I have a resident, an intern come in, or even an MS4 come in and say, really, I, I'm not interested in research. I just want to get this residency done, check the boxes. I want to practice medicine. None of this research rubbish. And uh, four or five months later, they're sitting in my office with so many ideas coming out of their head. And I get to support them to actually bring those to fruition. It is the best thing to to let people naturally develop their passion. I think that physicians themselves are naturally curious. I mean, Omari, you're a very curious person. You're constantly asking questions. Um, And you're trained in problem solving from the the get-go in medical school. You're trained in problem solving. So typically, being a natural question asker and um, that curious mind um, and knowing how to solve problems makes you very good researchers. Research is an awful lot easier than people think it is. So I think this is a great topic to to kind of unpack for everybody because it is not that scary. Right. We're talking impactful research that individuals or small teams can do with no money, um, which is great. I appreciate that. Well, that's a great segue to one of the first of a few questions I have for you to help our listeners get a grasp on a specific, a particular aspect of research, and that is poster presentations. Why, why are poster presentations important to medical education? Well, that's a really good um, 
question because uh, people quite often kind of say that poster presentations are the, the country cousin of real research. And that is absolutely not the case. If you look back to the 1980s when AIDS was beginning to, um, the AIDS virus was beginning to pop up and people just didn't know anything about it. It was case reports and poster presentations by residents and by medical students and by early career physicians who were beginning to notice this in their practice places mm. that started the knowledge that we now have and started the route to finding um, the medical interventions that we now have for HIV. Um, so it's critical that these observations and these unknowns are actually presented in this format um, because it's it's it allows for people to start ideas and move on to more rigorous research. But also on a sadder note, because it's the publish or perish issue um, that's creeping into medical school, there's an increased pressure on medical school graduates and in fact, medical school applicants to applying for residency or medical school or fellowships to have multiple publications on their applications. Medical school graduates are quite often um, only competitive if they have these prior to finishing residency mm. or applying mm. to residency. Sorry. If you look closely, the majority of these are poster or oral presentations submitted to local chapters of the larger national medical associations, such as American College of Physicians, American Academy of Family Physicians, etc., or subspecialties like chest or cardiology or breast surgeons, for example. They're not full-scale research. It's rare for somebody at this early stage of their career to have a full-scale research as first or second author. Sure. So this gives entry points, and they're also fairly quick to complete. They're not a year-long, two-year-long longitudinal study. Right. They can be these clinical vignettes, et cetera, which are fairly quick to complete. We do a speed research here at NGMC where MS4s will come in and do a case report and poster over two days. So, And it's very doable. So many of these associations that we just talked about, they actually have student and resident specific categories and they offer event scholarships as well, so which I think is really important to know because I have been a student, Dr. Hodge, you've been a student. It's not a lucrative position. So right. always look for scholarships and institutions also give scholarships as well because they like to have their names up on that poster as well. So it's, it's good for everybody. For residents where they're, they're pursuing a fellowship, track. Um, academic citations are an important way of showing if they're, if they're pursuing the fellowship track or not. It's an important way of showing their adherence to tenets of evidence-based medicine. Mm. So often programs have research as part of their graduation requirements. Poster presentations count, okay. which is good. I see a lot of posters being developed in intern year and PGY2. Um, and then we start to segue into more, um, more of the research. So poster presentations themselves are a popular academic medium to share research, quality improvement pro projects and processes, and clinical vignettes. Mm -hmm. And they really are good because they allow that early career physician to the opportunity to present their scholarly work in that intense academic environment and learn how to field questions from their colleagues and field experts in a fairly safe environment. Nice. So they're good for a personal point of view as well for, for development of professional identity. Um, so I think poster presentations are key to um, beginning your research career and also developing that evidence-based approach to being a physician. Awesome. So along that same line, what are some of the basic con uh, components of a medical education poster presentation? Like if our residents and students, and even faculty may be listening to this and wondering, okay, well, what are the basic, the basic threads that are in each poster presentation? 
Yeah. Um, well, like any science report that you've completed since grade school, the basic components of a poster will probably be familiar to many. I want to just say at this point, you're beginning to become academics, beginning to become professionals. You get to choose what components you include mm. in your. It's you, important. You're not tied to this. Is not high school. You don't have. It's not. You know, a lot of conferences will say yes, you have to have these components, but you can name them different things, okay. and you can have a rationale for something, but in a different way because it's creativity across right. this as well. You know, one um, of the things that you've done that really illustrates what you're saying is I remember mm-hmm. the first time I saw you, you brought me in the office and wanted to know exactly what excites me. And mm-hmm. I think that approach really helps research. It doesn't necessarily make it feel not hard anymore, but it does invigorate a passion that can make you want to deal with the hard, if you will. Right, so right. That's, that's really good. I didn't mean yeah, to interrupt you, but I just thought about that while you were talking. No, I think that's interestingly, actually, to that point. Um, there's been some research done that actually shows that a physician is more engaged, has better job performance and less burnout if they take part in some level of research. Mm. So I think that's just exercising your intellectual curiosity bone. Yes. Yes. You nailed when it you there. Start- I think there's so many people who I talk to when it comes to their regular nine to five and their 40 hour week, there's something missing. Mm. And you're exactly right. I think if I'm hearing you correctly, research is a way that we can give back to others. Um, and, and I know we give to our patients all the time, but you, you alluded to it. We are science minded and we mm-hmm. have that bug. And so yeah. it doesn't just stop, even though school has stopped. Right, right. And you know, you've been in school for so long that that addiction of that dopamine rush when you've actually done something intellectual is still there. You're still addicted. Mm. <laughs> so so you know, we might have to do another podcast after the crack and the addiction. We might <laughs> we'll have to do a substance a substance abuse podcast after this. It's not drug. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um so there's basic components of a poster um, yeah. that Everybody knows. The important thing to remember is that the poster is kind of like an enhanced infographic of your case report or manuscript, your your research, whatever you're doing. And okay, here's my big tip of the day. No matter whether you're on your 20th poster or your first poster, I advise people to write out the full case report of the clinical vignette or use your protocol if you're reporting a research or QI study as the foundation. Okay. Because this is so key because I've noticed with early career researchers, medical students, et cetera, they sometimes are presenting their or defending their poster and freeze. I forget those key things. And you're not going to put everything onto the poster. So if you have this written out, it's kind uh, of like, is crib sheet a, an American word? Is who? Crib, crib sheet, a cheat sheet. Cheat sheet, cheat sheet. Yeah. Yes. So it's so important to have your sort of cheat sheet or your primer, let's say primer, in your back pocket. I kind of call it the back pocket support. Yes. Um, Read it before you go and defend your poster um, or stand there and have maybe the the national leader of research in rheumatology asking you a question about your rheumatology poster and you just about die, knowing that that's when you can pull it out if you need to. But you've also got all that information really adds to that confidence. And more than that, it provides the structure for your actual poster because people who don't do that stage tend to have very incoherent posters. And the poster is telling a story. 
And so, so I think if you take nothing away today apart from this, it's due diligence. It's, it's doing that case report manuscripts before you start putting the pretty pictures onto your poster. Got it. That's, that's hugely important. Thank you. So uh, what type of poster presentations are there and where should we be looking to submit them? Okay, so there's multiple variations of the poster presentation. And I'd say the most common for medical students, residents, and early career physicians are the clinical case vignettes, where you're presenting on a a case that you've come across in in, um, your practice. And that can be presented in a couple of different ways. If it's a very novel case, for example, if you've seen something that isn't typically found in one area of the country, and it suddenly is with no reason, that's a novel case or a teaching case. Oftentimes we have our um, interns doing a teaching case where they're actually developing a case, which is fairly obvious, but they're pulling a thread that actually helps other residents learn something or a call to action case. For example, if you're looking at, um, say, the novel coronavirus um, that we've just been looking at, you know, it's a call to action of we need to know more about this. This is what I'm seeing. Those are typical for your clinical case vignettes. And you can also do, obviously, research posters, et cetera. But I'm just thinking for the typical first-time poster presenter, right, right. case report or the clinical vignette is, is the typical one. And it's really interesting. We have, um, I have a couple who, they're, um, you have to get consent. Um, right. what's very clear, the patient consent is, is key. You won't get published and you can't present anywhere without that consent. So your patient's going to know you're doing this. And quite often they'll send in photos, say of their knobbly hands or something. So there's yeah. a great collaboration and they're very proud to share. Make their contribution. This. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's, you know, especially if you can send them posters to send to their friends at Christmas, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I usually recommend looking at your presentation platform, your audience, after you've completed your case report. So you do the case report there will be some home for it, whether it's as a case report or a poster presentation. But before you develop the poster itself, work out where you're going to be presenting. So if it's, for example, a local chapter of a national association in medicine, go have a look at their poster presentation guidelines. Have an idea of who you are going to be presenting to. Is it a specialist or is it a generalist? Is it residents or is it top experts in the field? So who's your audience? And then you'll be able to submit, they'll have submission dates. For example, the Academy of Family Physicians has a submission date for April 1st this year. So you can look that up. We maintain a list of conferences and opportunities for publications. And I'm sure most institutions do that as well. But if not, um, just get in contact with with us and I'm happy to share that. I'm also happy to share templates, etc. Um, I sent them over so you can share those out with with them. Oh, awesome. I think, I think that's all for that part. Yeah, that's good. Okay. What about resources? Are there plenty of resources for further educations on these topics? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about how to do these things. So you can Google um, and find a whole bunch. There are some, I think, that we've already identified that we're going to put up on, on the podcast Correct. and resources. But the big one for clinical vignettes, the biggest resource that I can recommend is used by many reviewers and journals as their kind of rubric. Sure. Um, and I have any poster presenters here go through it as a basic checklist. And it's called the CARES checklist. It's available in all languages. And it goes through the elements that are included in all quality uh, case reports and poster presentations for clinical vignettes. And so you you 
you have that as a basis. We have based our template on that as well. And um, for research posters, I recommend developing a rigorous protocol that's IRB approved and using that as your template for a poster presentation, adding in, and there's lots of resources online for, for looking at that. I recommend the CASP uh, checklist for that. It's the Cochrane Critical Appraisal um, Skills Program right. checklist, and also looking at the Cochrane uh, Library of Presentations as well. Um, that's mm-hmm. a good one as well. There's so much on these areas, it almost gets overwhelming. So that's why we just say, use the CARES checklist and, and we give them one-on-one support. That's great direction. Thanks. Well, here's a time where we want to leave you with three take-home points for our listeners. You've given them a wealth of information, but I think you can add a little bit more to that treasure trove with your take-home points. Okay. So that was difficult because, you know, three take-home points for something as important as a poster presentation. <laughs> right. Um, because, you know, you need a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so poster presentations, my first one are, don't be afraid of just doing one. Just do one, send it to a mentor and say, hey, take a look at this. It's a very accessible way to begin your academic publishing career. It makes you competitive when you're looking at residency applications, med school applications, fellowship applications, it increases your competitiveness because everyone is into research and they want to see, will you contribute? You should be able to do some kind of clinical vignette on a, a rotation as an MS4. I would say try and complete you know, one to two posters to cite in your residency applications. And for residents, depending on your, your program, You'll probably be asked to do one to two case reports or posters in PGY1, and then you move to the more assisting and facilitating interns from there on. But they're an accessible, fairly quick way to, um, to get in on that ladder and just understand that academic space as well. So my second one is um, the key takeaway that I mentioned above is, um, before is just try and develop the case report manuscript as fully as you can with your in-text citations so that you can say, oh, yes, in 1994, so-and-so said this to the expert, tries to trip you up. Try and develop that that meat, that rigor. Don't jump straight into making your poster. Remember those high school English teachers telling you to outline? Well, they were onto something. So you're presenting a very complex technical construct or, or content. Developing your case report first makes everything go smoothly and, importantly, makes you look good. And that's one of the reasons you're doing this is to, to look good. It's also to share information, but you don't want to look like an idiot doing it. So do the background yes. work. And then finally, um, the poster is use the poster to tell your story. Just the important parts, maybe three to five visual aids, size 30 font, no smaller, mainly bullet points or well-defined sections. Avoid big blocks of texts. No one is going to read them. And <laughs> use that space for better um, for better reasons. Okay. And then you should pour as your primer. Those are my take homes. Oh my goodness. Well, this, this has been awesome and extremely informative. I know there are many residents, students, faculty who are listening now and feel a little bit better having to navigate this huge or what we perceive as a huge uh, step, but you have made it a little smaller for us and we appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast providers, as well as on our website at stfm.org slash urmjam. Follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. 